And now we're going to come to God's words, the Bible. Uh, we believe this is God's spoken words to us, written down, that we get to read and we get to know God through it. And we've been journeying through the book of Romans, and this morning we are in Romans chapter 8, uh, from verse 17 to 30. And I'm going to invite uh, John and Hazel to read that to us. Our reading today is from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, to the end of the chapter. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? Christ who died? More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 
Let's pray for Daniel. Our Father, we thank you for giving us the Bible. We thank you for this message of the good news of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul, who strove to explain this good news to the people around, to apply it to their circumstances and their thought patterns. We thank you for gifting Daniel. Father, we, we thank you for illuminating his heart with insight into the word of God. And we thank you for this passage and pray that through Daniel's message this morning, you will anchor our understanding in the certainty of your purpose and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, your son, to secure your purpose, to glorify your name, to minister your love and to silence for eternity, every accusing doubt. We ask you, our Father, to work this for us as a local church, and we ask you to work this for everyone who has joined us this morning, whether from near or far. We pray that you would be honoured and glorified in our lives as your Spirit ministers to our hearts the wonder that we are and will be citizens of heaven, born of your spirit and found in your love. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, John and Hazel, for leading us that time of prayer. Thanks, James, for leading us this morning. We're going to be concentrating on Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. And we had a, a Romans 8 read out for us. We're going to be concentrating on Romans 18 to 30. So if you keep your Bibles open in front of you, if you've got them at home, uh, we'll be looking at that this morning. But do look with me at verse 18. Paul says... I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Really? Really, Paul? Our, our present sufferings, you're telling me, aren't worth comparing with what's to come. Uh, we might be saying this morning, well, you must have had a pretty easy life, Paul, to be able to say that. Uh, life must have been pretty good to you to be able to come out with that kind of statement. Well, do you know, as we read this morning from one of Paul's letters, Romans, I want us to look at another part, another letter he wrote from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul outlines and he shows us the kind of life that he had at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 to 28 Paul says I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again five times he says I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. 
three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul knew suffering. And yet he opens up our passage and says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Really? I don't know how you tend to process making decisions uh, but one method that I, I know that people use i've used from time to time is the the pros and the cons list the idea that you've got a decision to make and you write down everything that's good about a decision and then you write down what's bad about making that decision a pros and con list and yet what paul says at the start in this statement is that he goes one step further than that he doesn't just say write out what's really hard at the moment and then write down on the other side of the list how amazing glory is going to be paul says don't even bother writing the list in the first place it's not worth comparing with don't waste your time bothering to work out this answer it's not worth comparing with the glory he says that is ahead but what is this glory that Paul says is there? What is this hope that he is looking to? Well, in short, the glory that's ahead is God's glory. And we saw last week in our passage, it ended in verse 17, where Paul said, now if we are children, he says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory there is a day that the bible speaks of when this jesus who was here on earth two thousand years ago who died who rose again who ascended into heaven there is a day when jesus will come again a day where philippians 2 says every knee will have to bow before him every tongue will have to confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father it's a day when Christ, as we heard in that song we had just before we came to our passage, a, a day when Christ is revealed as the king. A day when he comes and he comes to make all things new. A day when he comes to triumph over evil. A day when he comes to restore and renew all the brokenness and the suffering that we see and experience in our world at the moment. This is the day of glory that Paul is looking to. And Paul says that for those who love and those who trust Jesus, they will get to share in his glory. Share in that glory when it's finally revealed one day. A glory, Paul says, that cannot be compared with, with anything. Not even our present sufferings. How incredible Paul doesn't dismiss how hard things are for him, but he recognizes this morning the most incredible truth that there is a day coming with more glory than our minds can't comprehend. And this is Paul's hope 
This is Paul's hope that he shares with us this morning. And you know what? It's hope really that gets us through hard times, isn't it? Uh, Earlier this week, I was listening to a Zoom call with a bunch of people that uh, didn't, I think, go to church, but who were discussing what kind of life was like at the moment. And time after time, people were kept on saying these things that we, we just need hope at the moment. We just need some hope. And that sentiment couldn't be more accurate, could it? Hope is what sustains us through hard times. Whether that's the hope of a vaccine um, that will come and put an end to these lockdowns that we experience. Uh, Whether it was the hope of D-Day in the war, that that would bring victory over our enemies. Uh, Whether that would be the hope that we think that new leaders will bring as they bring their new ideas and therefore some new change. Uh, Whether that would be the hope of maybe even a Jedi who will come and bring order to the galaxy. Hoping is to be human. Hoping is fundamentally human. We all do it. We all long for it. We all place our confidence in something, hoping for something. But there's a problem, isn't there? You see, the hope we often place our confidence in is never certain, is it? Uh, We hoped a vaccine would come, praise God, that it seems like it is on that way. But we were told time and time again that that was never to be certain. We could maybe go our whole lives with no one finding an answer to this cure. Uh, Praise God that D-Day was a success. But right the way through that operation, it was never certain that it would bring victory. The leaders that we hope in time after time, never seem to bring the change that we want to see. And the question really is for us this morning, as we look at this hope that Paul shares with us, the question we've really got to ask is, is Paul's hope, is the Christian hope just the same as all these other hope for the best kind of hopes? How can we be certain this morning that glory really is coming? How can we be certain that we will be there to enjoy it? Well, do you know, these are all the questions that our passage this morning answers and is all about. And as we go through our passage in Romans 8, I've just split it into two points for us to, to see what it means. And now the first point that we're going to see this morning is how do we know glory is coming? How do we know glory is coming? Verses 19 to 25. Well, Paul tells us at the start that we can be sure that glory is coming because that is what Paul says. Everything is groaning for what everything is waiting for with eager anticipation. Uh, We see first, Paul says, creation groans. We see that in verse 22. Paul says the whole creation has been groaning. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Uh, What does it mean that creation has been groaning? Well, creation we see is groaning because of what we see in verse 20, that it was subjected to frustration. It takes us right back to the very start of our Bibles in the book of Genesis, where sin entered the world as creation rebelled against its creator, as humanity turned its face against God. 
And God therefore subjected his creation to frustration. He subjected it and bound it, as it says, to decay. What God had made to last forever, now God subjects to decay. It won't last forever. As one person said uh, when on this, it says, God in Genesis put creation in a lockdown. And, you know, that is what we see scientifically all around us. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that everything in our universe is constantly losing energy, is slowly but surely decaying. It's why the loaves of bread that we buy at the start of the week go moldy at the end. It's why the fresh milk we buy in the supermarket will, left over time, go off. It's why we ourselves, although we don't want to think about it, it's not nice to think about it, why we ourselves slowly, things become harder, things become tougher. Things we used to do, we're not able to do anymore. Process of decay is all around us. Creation groans. It's bound to decay. And yet Paul shows us that these aren't just groans of hopelessness and despair. But verse 22, he says, he describes it as groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And Paul uses uh, that picture to illustrate why creation groans. And it groans because it knows that glory is coming. Uh, Just like childbirth, the, the pains And the groans of childbirth point us not to the present sufferings, but to what is on the way. You know, whenever a couple want to show you uh, the pictures of their baby that's just been born, no one ever, I hope not, no one ever shows pictures of their wives in labor. Um, No one ever goes, oh, let me show you a picture of my wife, Jackie, uh, as she's in labor. Uh, A, no one shows that because I don't think that will go down too well. But B, the groans and the pains of labor don't point us to the present, but point us to the end result of a baby being delivered. That is what the whole process has been pointing towards. Mothers go through the pain of labor because it shows that a baby is on the way. And Paul says that creation all around us is groaning because it's a sign that glory is on the way. Glory that one day will be revealed for everyone to see. A glory that will replace the groans. And this glory, like a child when it's born, outweighs all of the sufferings that had to be experienced to get to that point. But secondly, Paul shows us that we can be certain that glory is on the way because we groan too. And look with me at verse 23. Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We can know that glory is coming because we groan. There's a sense, isn't there, that all of us as, as humans, we, we groan and we long and we look at this world all around us and we, we long to be free of the suffering and the trials that we experience. But, but Paul here specifies that actually as Christians who have the first fruits of the spirit, that's what it means, groan in a different way. Uh, we don't just grow negatively as we experience the 
sufferings and the trials that we go through. But Paul also shows us that we can groan positively too. He says, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And Paul mentioned, we saw earlier before our passage started in verse 17, he says that we have become children of God. Isn't that incredible this morning? Suddenly, as we've seen through Romans, Romans chapter 5, Paul says we begin as enemies of God. People have turned away from God. And now Paul says through Jesus, through what he has done, he has enabled us to become not enemies of God, but children of God, heirs of God. I love what J.I. Packer said about this. He said this, he said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. But here in Romans Paul says we groan because we eagerly await this adoption. You see, we are children of God now, but in one sense, Paul says, we're still living in the orphanage. The adoption forms have all been signed. We're part of this new family now, but we're waiting to be collected. We're waiting for this glory to be revealed, to be brought to our new home. And we groan not in misery, But we also groan in eager anticipation. We can't wait to be collected. We can't wait to to not just be children of God legally, but children of God in the presence of God himself. You see, this is what makes Christian groaning so distinctive. Because yes, we can't deny that our present sufferings are hard. They're painful and we, we long for them to be over like anyone else would. But we also groan with eager anticipation because we know there is a day when the sufferings will be over. One day that knock on the door will come and our name will be called. One day will we be brought to the home that has been prepared for us by our loving Heavenly Father. And our hearts long for this day. We are to groan for this day. We just can't wait For this day to come. Do you know this is what Paul has his hope in this morning. A hope that might be unseen. But a hope that Paul knows will one day be revealed. And Paul knows that because he knows the groans. And the groans mean that glory is on the way. But Paul ends the first section. Paul says in verse 25. Look with me. He says but if we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. Uh, There you go, parents. If there's any verse you want to use in the build up for Christmas with your children, um, you can use that one, verse 25. But Paul, he ends by saying that despite all of his eagerness, despite all of his groaning for this glory to come, he says he waits patiently for this day. And Paul waits because he wants more people to find their hope in the Lord Jesus. He waits now because there are more people in this spiritual orphanage that God wants to adopt into his family. There are more children, 
more people that God wants to adopt into his family. And Paul waits. He longs for this day, but he waits. And he works during the waiting. Wanting others to discover this love and this hope that Jesus brings in this hopeless world. How do we know that glory is coming? One. But secondly, this morning and finally, how do we know we'll be there to enjoy it? How do we know that we'll be there to enjoy it? Verses 26 to 30. You see, our question this morning might not be how do we know glory is coming? But it might be that we struggle to really believe and be assured that we'll be there to enjoy it one day. How do I know that I'll be there to enjoy this glory? How do I know that God will welcome me as his child and not as his enemy? Well, do you know, that's what Paul writes to assure us in the last part of our passage. First, we know we are going to enjoy it one day because the spirit now helps us. In our weakness, the spirit now helps us in our weakness. Verse 26 and 27. Do we see it in our passage? Twice it mentions the spirit intercedes for us. It's Paul says we don't know what to pray for, but the spirit helps us. I wonder this morning, do we ever feel like we don't know what to pray for sometimes? We know that it's good to pray. We know that we should pray. We know God wants to hear from us. But what do we say? Sometimes we just feel so weak. We feel so tired. We feel so far from God that as Paul says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. We struggle to to conjure up the word. Sometimes we're just so weak. And yet, do you know the amazing comfort this morning? The amazing comfort is that beneath all of our failed attempts to pray, God himself is there. The spirit is praying and and interceding for us, praying for things for us in line with God's will for our lives. How do I know that I'll be there to enjoy it one day? We have the spirit beneath us, beneath all of our weakness. Lifting us up in our weakness before God the Father and God the Son. Praying that God's will would be done in our lives. But we also know that we'll enjoy glory one day because, look with me at verse 28. We know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. (laughs) Now there is a statement that will transform the whole way. We look at life, won't it? And it's important to say that this isn't saying that everything in our lives that comes is good in and of themselves. Christians don't experience suffering and leap for joy thinking that this is just goodness. But rather, this verse means that our pain this morning has purpose. It means that even in the routine and in the busyness of life that we go through, there is a method in the mundane. We're not living in random and chaotic world where things happen by chance. We live in a world that is ruled and sustained by our creator who is working and weaving all things for our 
good for those who love him. Our ultimate good. Our good not being our wealth or, or even our health. But what we see next in verse 29. It's so important we read this next verse to understand verse 28. Verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's good is that he wants us as his people, as his children, to be conformed to the image of his son. We've already heard that uh, picture that Paul describes of us being adopted into God's family. We've become his children. And God says God wants his people to bear the family likeness. And so we can say this morning, God works for the good because God is working everything in our lives so that we might become more and more like Jesus. And that means this morning that we can press on and we can take great encouragement knowing that even in our failures, even in our fears, all things, even in the mundane routine of life, all things, God works for good of those who love him. When life doesn't go the way that we expected it. When we didn't get the job that we thought we would. When the unexpected hits. When we don't get the exam results that we wanted. When we're not where we thought we wanted to be in life and we're not where we want to be in life. Let's take take great comfort from these truths. That the events in our lives are not random. We're not where we are by mistake. God is working and he works all things, even tough things, even sad things, even heartbreaking things for good. In making us more and more like Jesus, his son each day. That is the good. We look more like him until the day when the glory is revealed. But finally, this morning, we know that we'll be able to enjoy glory one day because of God's unbreakable chain. Look with me at verse 30, the last verse of our passage. God says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, the reason this is called God's unbreakable chain is because of the way that Paul has written this verse. You see, Paul basically writes saying that when God begins this process, no one will fall short. You might notice at the end in verse 30, Paul uses the past tense. He says he also glorified But we know from Romans 8 that we haven't yet been glorified, but he uses the past tense. And James Denny, in commentating on this verse, he says, the tense in this last word, glorified, is amazing. He says, it is the most daring anticipation of faith that the New Testament contains. This is God's unbreakable chain. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Once you begin the process, you will finish the process. 
Imagine it like the X factor. You've got to bear with me there. It's not, it's not perfect, but bear with me the X factor. You, you have, in the X factor, you have all of these stages, don't you? You begin with the auditions, and then if you get through the auditions, you get around to that uh, place where the judges then decide if they want you. And then if you get through that round, you then go to judges' houses. And then if you get through judges' houses, you get to the live shows. And if you get through all the live shows, you become the winner. And even though our lives aren't an audition or judges' houses, actually for Christians, there are these stages that Paul outlines in the last verse of our passage, predestined, called, justified, glorified. And Paul shows us that once we're on this process, God will never send us home. It will never be God that stops us from getting there. Paul uses the past tense. He's so confident of that. That's what I love about these verses. As you look down at them, what I love is that God has done all the work. I mean, if you look down at this verse, what part have we had to play in any of this? None of it. It's all God. It was all God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've done everything for us. And as Paul has stated in Romans so far, if God has done all of this, if while we if while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. Do we really think God's going to drop the ball at the final hurdle? Do we really think he's going to turn around and not want us? You know, thinking back to that adoption illustration, God signed all the paperwork. He's made sure everything is in place. He's prepared a home for us to come and live in. He's paid for every expense of this process. He set the date to collect us. And Paul says, do you really think God's going to fail now? Do you really think God's going to rip up the document now? Of course not. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, if our confidence is in Jesus, if we love him, if we trust him, then I pray more than anything this morning that as we live in this broken world, with all of its hardships, with all of its sufferings, That we look to this future glory. We look to this hope that we have in store. That we say this morning, the best is really yet to come. And that we eagerly await more than anything this day when Christ comes to bring us home. Knowing that he's working in us now. Knowing that he's helping us now in our weakness. So that we will get to enjoy this glory that is coming. Our groans this morning, creation's groans prove glory is coming. But also finally, we've got to remember this morning why Paul is writing this letter. He's writing it to this church in Rome. And we'll see later on in Romans that he writes it so that they will support him in bringing this good news, this hope, this message of Jesus to people who haven't even heard it yet. As we saw earlier, Paul waits patiently, even though he he longs for this day to come, because he he knows that there are others who will come to know this hope for themselves. And as we've spent our morning, as we've spent singing and praying and reading about this hope that Jesus Christ offers to this world, don't we just see it and look and see how glorious it is? 
As we see what God has done for us, look at what God has in store for us. And look at what God is doing every day to sustain us and bring us to this day. And when we look at all of those things and then we look at our world that is hurting and is suffering so much now more than usual. And we see the hope that Paul says we can have in knowing Jesus. Doesn't this make us want to share this hope with others? How could we keep this glorious hope and certainty to ourselves? To hope is to be human. And our world out there longs for some hope. Now more than ever. To hope is to be human. And this morning, we have seen what a hope God has given for this world to know. Let's share it.